Welcome to the Fab Four Free For All. Boo. Yay. Oh, sorry. Have him killed. And welcome to another stimulating edition of the Fab. Oh, I just got four. stimulated. Free for all. All right, well, all right, that's it. That's all it takes for Mitch these days. We're done. Good night. We'll see you. Is the wind blowing? Yeah, there you go. And uh, hey, hey, you doing? <laughs> my name is Tony Chiguardo. I am the moderator of this week's program, and joining me, as they always do, my two dear friends, both in Beatleness and beyond Beatleness. Mr. Rob Leonard. and beyond. Rob Leonard. That's me. Hi, I'm Rob Leonard. And Mitch Axelrod. That's him. Oh, wait, I'm me. (laughs) And And I am he and you are me and we are are all together in the yellow submarine. Anyway, as you know, if you listen listen to the show regularly, and even if you don't listen to the show regularly, we generally pick an interesting topic. (laughs) And... um, we pick an interesting topic, and uh, we talk about it. It's always Beatles and Beatles related. And this time around, we're looking at the fact that we do a show about the group that has sold more records than any other musical group worldwide. Definitely. We look at a group that hit numerous milestones along the way, and we kind of are sort of self-professed and, I guess, sort of in the eyes of others, looked at as kind of authorities on the Beatles, okay? Uh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe sometimes. Yeah, Whoever sometimes. does that's an idiot. Yeah, but seriously. Why would you look at us? Right. Uh, well, yeah. Well, that's why we have faces have for radio. Have you seen me lately? Anyway, there you go. Oh, I, I love when people tell us everything we didn't do on a show. Yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, we love reading that I, stuff. I mean, and the truth is we're, you know, I mean, you do I it guess for free. we've done a lot of, yeah, really. But again, I'm talking about milestones in the, the career of the Beatles. And maybe this is about milestones. Maybe it's about something more an X factor. I don't know. Mm. But what we want to talk about and what we want to look at is between the three of us or among the three of us, we're going to kind of pick out what we feel are five songs that were the most important in the Beatles history, whether it be for the world and how they looked at the Beatles, what it meant to the world at large, what it meant to society, however you want to look at it, or what it meant to the Beatles in their own personal growth, or however you want to look at it. So we haven't just set serious boundaries no. on this. So it's really going to be sort of a free-for-all. So it's going in, to be a, a free-for-all. In a structured way. Yes. And I think what we'll do is, rather than each of us name our five, do we want to each Name one and, and then, then go, go around, around from yes, there. That's fine. So I think let's do that. We will go en rondo. And, and, and we should say, Sorry. Yeah. with all these types of shows we've done, <laughs> yeah. our choices could change as soon as the show ends. As um, soon as the show ends. Well, no, no, this is not, I don't think that's true. I, well, you know. In this type of thing, it's not, at least the way I'm taking it is, it's not the most important song to me. Yes, I think we're, we're doing that in another show. Yes, actually. Yes. The, the, another this show. is the most important. Yeah. That changes, you know, so. as much as I change my underwear yeah. every three yeah. weeks. I'll, I'll thank my other half for that, not for yeah. changing my underwear, but <laughs> when he brought up the well, idea. She might if you get she a little might. older. <laughs> but, but when he brought up the idea of doing a separate show for just, you know, the songs Well, I think we have to because to I, I'm and taking this as if it's the five most important songs to the Beatles, even though they never said these are important songs, meaning to their career or to their growth right. or to something right. In, right. in that regard. Yes. Yeah. And why don't we do this? If, if a song is duplicated and we all agree on one song, then that's, we, check it uh, off. We, we check it off the list. There's five. And overall, yeah, right. We'll, we'll each come up with five. If there were auxiliary ones later that we wanted to add in, we could, we could lie and say, oh, yeah. I didn't have that one. I had this one. Um, just to make the things more interesting. But, uh, but in any event, let me toss it over. I'll lob the ball to my left. I, well, I had to stop and think which way was right or left. To Mr. Mitch Axelrod. Mitch, well, I, number one for you. Again, this is in no particular order. Okay. This is my weakest choice of the five. But I'm going to say yesterday. And, and not because of what you think. You know, the 2,500 versions and mm-hmm. 3,000 versions. Not for what you think. As we know about yesterday, the Beatles or Paul was was kind of embarrassed by it. And it wasn't released in the UK as a single. You know, Capital put out anything, so they, they, we got it here 
in the United States. So I think it's because of that embarrassment that sort of led Paul to not do more things like this in the future. And that was important in the Beatles' history. He did other songs. Well, he, he did for no one, yes. But if he did it, it was more sophisticated. Because to me, Yesterday is not a very sophisticated song. So, well, his sophistication had to start somewhere, so you're thinking that that... Correct, but I think it's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's important for a reason of, you know, it, he did more of these type songs, but not that many more. I mean, he did for no one. Eleanor Rigby still had the other Beatles on it, even in vocal. So Here, there, and everywhere. Beatles they, doing backing. Yeah, they played right. it on that. He, they didn't do anything on this. So you're talking about the idea of... of him not venturing solo anymore and like that's that? the other and point if, if Paul would have done more and listened to people saying oh you're great that was great especially like George Martin who said no this has to be Paul and he even wanted to put it out as Paul McCartney not the Beatles but well, if he would have listened to other people who knows he may have gone solo quicker and we may not have the Beatles for the eight years we had them so where you're going really is not which I agree with and I understand it's not necessarily just what the song accomplished or what the song meant, but the possible trajectory that that song could have... Could have led the Beatles Could have led them to. Or out of. That was one of my choices, actually, but I had for different reasons. You're right about the fact that the other Beatles aren't on it, but they were in the studio when it, when it did happen. So they had approved of this. It obviously went out as the Beatles. It easily could have gone out as Paul McCartney. Right. Which there was whispers that we'll call this Paul McCartney because the other guys aren't on it. The thing that got me about this song. Isn't it amazing, too, that a year or so later you'd get Brian Wilson. Yeah, that was the of Caroline, Caroline no. no. Yeah. Um, the thing that gets me about yesterday for the Beatles is that on the 66 tour, they do it as a band song. In 65 on the Correct. Sullivan Show they and um, Blackpool Night Out, they did it with the orchestra or with strings. Yeah. On the tour, they did it as a band. And the, the song takes on a whole different vibe. I'm not just talking about, because of all the screaming kids. You know, they're playing drums, and they're playing electric guitars, and it's totally different. And a bass, too, because you know, Paul's playing bass on it. So it, to me, to me that it, it's almost like the way the Beatles maybe looked at the song. You know, it right. wasn't released as a single in Great Britain, or it was here yeah, in the so States. Yeah, so why did they do it live? Yeah, you know, it, it, they didn't have to. They didn't have to. So in the a, states, they could have you know, for the Sullivan Show because it was the single. You know, for the '65 look, Sullivan you know, Show, as, it was the single. Right. As much but they as, didn't have to do it any other place. And I think the embarrassment that I was talking about of him doing it solo, you know, he, if they the other Beatles, like you said, were in the studio and they might have said it's a good song, let's rework it to make it a band song now. Right. There weren't many more like this where it was just Paul. And they weren't no. on backing or they weren't on something. What's interesting, if you think him. about it, is um, when it comes to the other Beatles looking at the song. You know, it's funny, but you don't read a lot about what they felt at the time about the song. But isn't it funny how, you know, we always comment about how do you sleep and what that song meant. Right. And yet, if you think about the lyric... John Lennon actually says, the only thing you done was yesterday. Well, it's reportedly Alan Klein wrote that line. But either way... It, but that's a compliment. That's a compliment. Yeah. That's a compliment. He's saying, you out of held, all the crap you did, yesterday, yesterday was the only was thing it. that was any good. Well, was I, I think was, John was meaning it as an insult. You know, that it, it was. It was you know, but it doesn't music. come off that doesn't way. It doesn't come off that way. If you, if you I, take well, maybe it does. the line... It depends. You know, or I mean, you could say you're, or you're done. You're part of the past. The only thing you've done was yesterday. Yeah, that, that which is the part, line. Yeah, there's two meanings. But to that. yeah, but but the idea being that, and I didn't have it on my list, but I can acknowledge the idea that that was also one of those songs. And we've talked about this in other episodes that the older generation embraced. Yeah. Well, that could be for the other reason. So, yeah, not so not the reason I'm saying. No, but that's I, the other reason because to, it was covered three thousand yeah. times. But even and before the cover, no, I know, but for a reason the because it, well, because it was more of a classical song, yeah. and it was you know by the adult community it was overheard from their kids hearing it on AM radio, right? And and then it was all you the know. covers too. Yeah, all the covers. You know, but the, but I remember fast. I remember my my parents knowing and being very well aware of the Beatles version. Right. You know, they didn't just know, you know, Dean Martin's cover or something like that. They knew 
the Beatles recording of it and and how strong it was. So that's definitely a, a yeah. All right, so great. So yesterday, but is I, I disagree, for double edged sword though. But double, I, yeah. I disagree on the fact that I think it allowed Paul to think. Well, I can do solo tracks. Maybe is the wrong term, but if you look at some of Revolver, you mentioned for no one, even got to get you into my life. The release version is mostly Paul. The, you know, George is on that short guitar solo, but it's not. But but we now horns. Yeah, but we now we learn though that the working version was John and George. Yeah, that's a, a whole lot. Diff- the whole yeah. different version. Correct, so. but it, but that's the way it started. Right, and then yeah. then you know Sergeant Pepper comes along and you know she's leaving home is just Paul and John and you know within you without you is just George and they started to fray realizing well we don't have to be on every track. Right, and I think that's right. part of it too. That well, the, that might be a third reason it's yeah. important. Yeah. So we all have, you know, yeah. different reasons why that song may be important. Yeah. But not because just it's yesterday, it's 3,000 copies. Right. That, that's that, part that, of it. That's part of it, and that's the obvious part of it. Right. We're but trying to come slower. up with the, yeah. you know, not the obvious. Yeah, it, go, it goes why it goes deeper. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And that's right. what we do. So, Robert. I'm going to pick She Loves You. And the reason I pick it is if you pick Beatle lyrics... The term yeah, yeah, yeah is known by everyone, even if you're not a Beatle fan. And sometimes it was used as a joke, uh, sometimes by the older generation. Which also lends lends significance to it, right. in a way. So Anything that's picked up and, and satirized. Right, is, is something that's in the culture. Yep. Uh, and, yeah. yeah. So, and also the other thing was about that song, to me, if you look at the Beatles songwriting, it's the first one that sort of changed. You know, for me to you, is sort of like Love Me Do, but She Loves You, to me, stands out as a different type of songwriting. The way they, they you know, that the so-called corny chord at the end, which they, the Beatles all love, and George Martin says, hey, I've heard this a million times, but they hadn't heard it. Right. And to right. them, that was like a big deal. But also the third person. Right. It was, yeah. it was sung in the third person. But to me, the fact that they were learning, they thought this was new, George Martin knew it wasn't, but they played it as new. So they, it wasn't look like they were copying anything. This was something new to their repertoire. Sure. And sure. the other thing about that song also is it really kicked off British Beatlemania. And that was, I think that was very important just for the fans. You know, everyone knew that song. Right. And I think that right. was part of, you know, they, they kept singing it for a while. Uh, they, you know, they carried that over. And you know that opening drum. Yeah, that that opening. Kick I'm sorry, is, you know, and it's immediately so sh- what it is. It's a, what two seconds, maybe. Yeah, yeah doesn't it, matter. It's, yeah. It might be even shorter. It is one of the most iconic openings of yeah. songs. opening drum films. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, to yeah. me, as uh, you know, the songwriting it, it led to, and um, just the way it, it got put together, you know, it was thought to just be the next single, but it turned out to be the kickoff of their real careers. Interesting. So that's what I've always thought about She Loves You. Is it surprising in your mind that that record didn't break them in the U.S.? Yes. Uh, yes, but part of it had to be, you know, it was on Swan. A right. very small Philly very label. very small right. label at the right. time. You know, though VJ didn't do much with them either. Right, and, and, um, and yet so many records were breaking out of Philly. Yeah. At the time. So. Which is kind of But odd. then again, in April of 64, when the five hit, and then we're like, what, 16 others in the top 100 or yeah. whatever there were? Yeah. 12, I think it was. Whatever 12. it was, yeah. The She Loves You was right up there in the top five. Right. Yes. So just because it didn't break them, people discovered how great it was when they did break. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so if, yeah. if that was on Capitol to begin with, which it was on Capitol in Canada. Right, right. Yeah. But if it was on Capitol yeah. in the States, now, not knocking the Canadians, but it was, it was a different market. Right. But... You know, you're talking about. I mean, all my loving was a single in Canada, right? But, right. but, but think about Beatles' second album. What does it say on the cover? It says oh, featuring Rollover Beethoven, and, and she, she loves you. And she loves because you. Yeah. those were the imports from Canada because they were selling so much. Yeah. That you know we had to import Canadian singles to continue the sales pitch of yeah. the Beatles. So. Now, uh, and so again, going into the idea of, and there's a reason why I'm throwing this question out. Because I'm going to go to my choice, one of my choices. If Capital had decided to launch She Loves You as yeah. a U.S. Capital A side when the hype was starting to happen, you know, going into Christmas of 60, you know, 63 and into 64, 
would we have kind of brushed I want to hold your hand? Would I want to hold your hand not have had the significance it had? Because I'm going to pick I want to hold your hand. Well, so that's shout to me, out. That, that's, to me, it's, that's it's the an obvious, obvious one, yeah. It's an obvious, but shout out to Alan Cozen, you know. But I want to hold your hand being as significant as it is now mm-hmm. in hindsight and as it was then. If She Loves You had been the, the first big capital push single, would I want to hold your hand be the obvious anymore? Wouldn't it have the yes, significance? Yes, it would. You know why? Because we think about what but we're if, saying now. But if She Loves You had hit, I, I think you're right. Right. I think it, then it starts there. And then I want to hold your hand is – I have that as part of the, the expansion of their thing. Even yes. I, and I agree with what Alan Cozen wrote that you know, yeah. the song sort of became a lost child afterwards. Right. Right, it was really just part of the But think about what we're saying now. And then musically. We're saying that She Loves You is a great iconic song. Right. But I Want to Hold Your Hand was the hit, was yes. the, the one that broke them. Right. If She right. Loves You would have broken them, we'd still be sitting here saying I Want to Hold Your Hand is a great iconic song. Right. We still yeah. would. But, but, it, a good song is a good but, song but would have no matter capital, what. But it would have True. capital release I Want to Hold Your Hand as the single because part of the reason they did is because of George Martin getting angry at Dave Dexter for not yeah, putting it out. Yeah. And I think know, it Brian Epstein come out pushing right. and Alan Livingston saying, hey, what, Dex, what's going on here? So yeah. one yeah. thing I want to just say, one more thing about uh, She Loves You, just because I, I just want to make sure I include it. You know, the fact that it was on the second album, was it hadn't been released on an album. And, and, you know, from sure. Swan didn't put it out on a record. They didn't put it out on a compilation. Sure. So that was another way to sell that song as... Not just the single, yeah, from Canada yeah. and of course Swan, but here on this album, packaging it is, on here the it album. Is, here it is. Yeah, I think that Capital would have put out "I Want to Hold Your Hand" because how many singles were off of "Meet the Beatles"? Good point. That's One. Yeah, good point. Good right. Point. Right. One. Yeah, I mean, the next single really wasn't until "Can't Buy Me Love" right. in, in April. In April. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, for Capital, uh, for Capital, the significance of. Um, of want to hold your hand. Obviously, like you said, there is a, there's an that's obvious factor to it. Uh, but when you know we are talking about the topic of the songs that were most important to them, well, to and their history, culturally, to their history. Yeah. yeah. So you know, to me, I, you know, I hate to have to be the one to to grab it because it's kind of like the I feel like I lost in digging for a deep one. But 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 it's 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 huge. Well, it was the first you know, thing that came to my mind history. when we did this topic. Yeah, but I, but I didn't want to do it because right. I figured everybody would do it. Yeah, that was on my list too. Yeah, I, so it, it and it is the kind of thing where you know, it started the radio hysteria. You know, again we've done we've done an episode about it, talking to Alan Cozen about his book about well, it. Well, there's books, yeah, right. Yeah, so there is so much to that song and what it meant, and and you know, the idea too that. Wide distribution, you know, right. uh, the VJ records had come out, the Swan records had come out, um, but but now you're talking about Capital. But Capital was offered all of those records, they were. and they turned them down. Yeah, and you know, yeah, we know how stupid, stupid that was. Yeah, you know. So all right, so we've we've done we've done round but maybe one. Maybe we don't have the mania if it, they've come out in '63. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's all about timing. You know, because, you read Al Sussman's book right, too book. for about that time. You know, mm. but. Anyway, all right, so we've gone one round. Mitch, back to you. Okay, uh, my next is, again, not going in order, meaning I'm not going chronologically. Chronology, yeah. Uh, something. Okay. The song Something. Okay. My importance is that it's the first George Harrison A-side of a single. Okay? Now, it's a double-edged sword that I have. We should at. say he had, did have an A-side in the States, but it wasn't um, an official single. Do you want to know a secret was it? Yeah, but I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I know. A, I know what you're talking about. A George yeah. composition, right? Yeah. yeah, right. A George composition, right? Yeah, that a George was composition. John and Paul, yeah. right? Good point. A double-edged sword because having an A side that did really well obviously gives George confidence that he was just as prolific as John and Paul, or yeah. could be. Yeah. But also, you know, here's the other side of it: made him realize maybe that he didn't need them as much, and he could leave. I've had a hit single, I don't need you idiots anymore. Right. And I wrote here, but also led to a great start to his solo career as he started writing more. Sure. So while it was, it's a great song and one of the best in the Beatle catalog, 
and from a musical standpoint, every standpoint, it's a it be- showed, it's a, a well done song. It's it's well recorded, well, it's, well crafted, and and you know what I have to say, despite all the talk we ever hear down, you know, along the way about how George Martin felt toward George's songs, I don't ever think that George Martin short shrifted George Harrison in the production so. side of things, and something stands as as cold proof that. You know, I'm George Martin. One put 120% of the most twenty percent into in that. Yeah, it's a great and it's it's, it's absolutely a great arrangement too. Great arrangement. It's absolutely gorgeous. One of the well, again, a good song. Well, one of the things I love about yeah. Rock Band, they, there was a there was one of the mixes that if you take away a couple of things, you just got George and the orchestra. Yeah, and it was like wow. Yeah, magnificent. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Yeah. So I think that song is very important to them in their history. It wasn't one of my choices, but I know where it's coming from because. First of all, Joe Cocker was supposed to put out a version first. Yeah, first, yeah. He, he was yeah. doing. You know, George was like, "Well, what am I doing with this song?" Uh, but also, you know, guess who had a maybe not a big hit with it, but it was his version as much as anyone else's. Frank Sinatra. Yeah, of course, Frank yeah. confused the songwriter. One he always used to yeah. say the best Lennon McCartney song. Yeah, uh, which I'm sure George appreciated. Yeah, right. Uh, but Sinatra did it twice. Yeah. I mean, he he did a couple of songs twice over the years like that, but they both had different arrangements. Uh, the first version that Sinatra did was much closer to the Beatles version. The second one had uh, more of an interval in the middle there. Um, but I think, yeah, when Sinatra covers your work, that's a pretty important thing, which yeah. he did with, I believe he did with Yesterday, too. But, you know, he didn't cover many Beatles songs. He didn't right. cover many rock songs. So. No, he didn't. Right. So I, right. that was that would, where I'd fit that in. My second choice would be All You Need Is Love. There you um, go. Partly because it captured a moment in time of course, they didn't know this when they wrote it. Uh, it was written for the the Our, Our World, World yeah. worldwide broadcast, which in the United States aired on PBS. Uh, but um, it captured a time. You know, all you need is love. The summer of love, which I don't think it was called the summer of love when that song came out. No. Right. Uh, but it's right. become this iconic song to match an iconic time. And the interesting thing for me is that the Beatles easily could have done something off Sgt. Pepper for that broadcast. Sure. And they chose sure. to do a new song. Um, fool like on what, the, though? What could they have done off Sgt. Pepper? Day in a Life would be a good start. No. No, not Live as a Our studio? World. Yeah, why not? Live in the studio, Rob? How are they? An Our World? I mean, Our World was supposed to be about love. Yeah. So what could you do on yeah. Pepper? Well, the, you got to remember, All You Need Is Love has a lot of recording stuff there, too. And that's, well, it that's was totally good, yes, but... but there's nothing on yeah. Pepper overtly love. Well, it, it wasn't. Really. You got to remember the the Beatles almost did a Fool on the Hill. That was the other Unless song. You that did was Paul's together now. That, that was Paul's. Uh, you know, he said, "Let's do Fool on the Hill," and they're like, "Well." Mm-hmm. And John came up with "All You Need Is Love." Now, was he writing it for the world, or was he just writing because they just needed another song for this Probably. show? Probably. Or I was going to say, or was he writing it because he was John? And damn it, before McCartney slipped something in at the eleventh hour. Right. I'm going to make damn sure I'm the one that gets the broadcast because I'm the leader of the band. There yeah. was a, that, that competition. Absolutely. We, I'm not saying them. that it was a bad thing. Right, right. But the point being that, you know, well, John wanted to, John was all about love and peace and love and peace and love and peace. And John was all about writing a good song. So the yeah. deal was, I got to write a song. Let's write a song about love. Yeah, here we go. It this worked. is where my head's at right so, now. To me, it, it, it yeah. captured a moment without knowing it was going to capture a moment, which is always a great thing if you're a writer. If That's you, a if you really, can, really well put. If you yeah. can write something that becomes like the representative banner, of a the time. banner of the times, you know, yeah. all you need is love. And so to me, that's an important thing. Plus, it was seen worldwide. It was released as a single a couple of weeks later. You know, there was no singles off of Sgt. Pepper. Right. And Sgt. Pepper was, is considered the Summer of Love album. And maybe because you get stoned to it, but all you need is love sort of captures that whole thing uh, of, you know, and it's a great sing-along chorus. Every, everyone in the world can sing that chorus. Absolutely. Yeah, and they even give you the, the placards to walk right, around right. to tell you how to sing it from anywhere all over the world. That's right. So, you know. So to me, that that's, a, uh, I think, an important song. Okay. And even when you talk about the Beatles, you know, it's always about love. All you need is love. Yeah. For the most part. There's money and fighting and, and stuff, too. Right. <laughs> What's your second song? For me, I'm going to go out of chronology, as as we started to do here a bit. I'm going to jump to uh, the finale. I'm going to jump right to the Golden Slumbers medley. Okay. Uh, I'm going to count it as one song. Now, do you start at Golden Slumbers? Or I, you start s- at, I started at Golden Slumbers. You, you never give me your money. I started at Golden Slumbers only because really the, to me, what the... Um, 
what the climax of that piece is is what made it so intensely important. The three songs. It's the three songs. It's Golden Slumbers uh, because that's when you know once when you're listening to the album. You know, obviously, you know the album's coming to a close. You've already heard this beginning of this suite. Now you start with that real sweet, once there was a way to get back homeward, now you, you kick in to carry that weight. And then you're at the guitars. Right. The three guitars and the love you take is equal to the love you make, and we're out. At the time th- that love you take is equal to the love you make, I think already the, the, the news was in the, the press that there were holes in the foundation. Well, yeah, there were, you know, the, but those holes were were in the press for years. For years, no, yeah. but but I'm saying like you know, Rolling Stone had really essentially already declared that they were over. Even when Abbey Road was still hitting, John's interview at the time of Abbey Road was, well, you know, I can see the Beatles still continuing to do stuff together, and you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll see uh, things are going to go on, and you know, and, and I think that mm. that final that that set of guitar interplay unique to anything they had ever ever done before that's true ever done before never had there been that kind of instrumental we've said it before on, on a number of the shows the conversation that happens in that you know minute and 20 seconds of music the conversation that goes on there is a declaration and a statement that I don't think they had ever made before obviously would never make again Mm. And then to come out with that, the love you take is the love you make. From a from a standpoint of what that meant to them, because the minute, I, to me, the minute the headphones came off in the studio on that last day, I think everybody knew that when that mix was done and that record was played through once, and this is the album we're putting out, I think everybody really knew it was over. So I, I like you the, know, I like the thought that you know the three of them playing guitar and it's each style is different. Yep, uh, George's is, is very thought out. Yep. Paul's is a very uh, he's more of a bending the strings a lot. Yeah. more uh, more like like yep. another girl. And John's are heavy chords. Yeah, which, you yeah. know, sort of became his his style in many ways. Uh, this chord playing with notes in there. It's, it's almost like a it's almost like a lead rhythm guitarist. Yes, on especially on that song. So, yeah, yeah. You know, to me, and and you know, in another way, because is also. A triple vocaling from each of them. Definitely. Um, you know, they Definitely. they knew something was going up. Yeah. And, and, but it was also a different yeah. way of doing the. They never did. You know, this boy had great harmonies, but they didn't triple vo- vocal their no, triple track their vocals on each of them. Right. Over which, like they did with because. Right. So. Which is really funny because that goes back to something that Mitch actually posted on our Facebook page about this boy versus because. because right. yeah. You know, which was a post that was up, you know, at right, some point right. a few weeks back as yeah, of this taping. Seeing anyway. which ones you like better, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so for me, Golden Slumber's Medley is a Melody. Medley is another one. And we go back to Mitch. Okay. My third song is Tomorrow Never Knows. Mm-hmm. And I have in my notes that it's the real first time that George Martin, air quotes now, allowed this type of song experimentation to be on an LP. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Well, that yeah. that's a good point. If you think about George Martin as a producer, and you think of like the BBC stuff where there's a lot more R&B in there, which didn't show up in the recordings on EMI. Right. That's a good point. Uh, you know, maybe he's starting to trust him in the well, studio. And, and that's, uh, again, it gave John and George Martin a comfort level to do more, such as Strawberry Fields Forever, which okay. also may have been the icebreaker everyone needed to move forward. Which always kind of, in a way, pisses me off about John because John was like spent years like slagging off George Martin. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, not to be, but you know, you little prick. Do you really think? I don't care who you are. You had to get somebody to let the trust factor happen, to let down their guard, to toss away the old guard. Granted, you were making more money than. Jesus, yeah, right. during the you but know, but you couldn't say that, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. We're making more, especially money. not to Maureen Cleave, right? But you know, isn't it amazing that you know, would another producer? I mean, you know, by then George was an independent. Don't forget, he he wasn't even a, a contract player yeah, anymore. After sixty-five, yeah, and yeah. So would another and you have producer hit after hit after hit, hit after hit after and hit, you're coming up with a and singing through a Leslie or right. before that the one chord. Yes. Because the original one was right. just that the one drone. chord go, yeah. come on now. 
and George Martin letting that he happen. Let it happen. Yeah, I he encouraged yeah. it. I think yes. I always say, you know, tomorrow never knows the first song recorded for Revolver. I mean, how do you top that? And they they sort right. of actually, if you think about creativity wise, they did. They they, did. they sort of did. Yeah. But and you, they made it the last song. Cause yeah, because yeah. where else are you going to put? But it? isn't it amazing though that you know we we talk about that and yeah, tomorrow never knows the first song recorded for that's Revolver. Ama- that's amazing. So right there from a Beatles culture standpoint. The first song, even though it's the last song on the record, the yep. first song recorded for the pivotal album that was going to change everything. Yeah, really in terms of them. And he allowed the and he yeah even the finished version yeah. he does allow the, John to sing through the Leslie speaker. Right, right, right. Which is very different. Oh you know, yeah, but I also where think was yeah. that? part of that happens because um, they get a new engineer, Jeff Emmerich. Right. Yes. Jeff is is the same age as the Beatles. Uh, nothing against Norman Smith, but he was an older generation guy. Sure. Uh, he he sure. had his, his moments, and he was good. But Jeff comes in and starts re, uh, doing the mics, the replacements, and stuff like which was very important in Revolver. Yes. And you know what? The other guys, you know, be, you know Paul comes in with these these cut up tapes and says, "Hey, let's see if we can do a loop on this." But I don't think if the, if he didn't if John didn't bring, you know, what tomorrow, is it, yeah, tomorrow. Mach, what was it Mark called? Mach one. Mach one. Mach one. Yeah. Mach one. If he didn't bring this to them, oh, sure. then yeah, none yeah. of it would happen. So I right. think you know that's why it's important in Beatle history. I agree. Yeah, I agree with uh, you. Uh, you know, the thing it's... about Strawberry Fields, though, it's one of the few songs, if you look at the catalog with the Beatles, that John spent that much time trying to figure out the song. Right. And he still hated it. And he... Said he wanted to re-record it. He, yeah. Towards the end, he changed his mind a little bit. In the mid-70s, he was very angry at a lot of things. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, yeah. Like, he thought that George Martin was a Paul guy. So he's... Yeah, was, right. Please. But, well, right. he was John, a Paul guy for but, a while. But John, yeah. also, as a, as a recording, we know this, that he didn't like to be in the studio for a long time, so, periods right. of time. He wanted, uh, especially... You know, when he started to get more creative, he wanted to be spontaneous. Yes. It's, as an artist, yes. all artists done spontaneously. Yes. Yeah. Not all artists done spontaneously. Well, and then. Well, for it, John, it was. Right. right. But then the irony being that to spontaneously send my voice through a Leslie. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sorry, John. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You, you, you know, you've had gotta, that thought in your head. Right. And, and it you've got to like, go in. Oh, wow. We should just do that right now. Yes. And yeah. the electronics have to be there and it has to be worked out and, you know, levels have to be played with and, right. you know. But also with Tomorrow Never Knows, there's another cultural aspect of that and I can I can sort of cite it at home in a way in a sense that I know for example my sister is one of that group of Beatles fans that loved quote the early stuff yep and Tomorrow Never Knows marked that closing track of Revolver uh, one door shut and another door opened or a door shut and a window opened because the truth was Tomorrow Never Knows slammed the door on a lot of the old fans who were not going to come along for the rest of the ride. But that's why it was at the end. It is. But you get through the album and you're plodding along and you know what? I'll tolerate this Love You Too crap. <laughs> I'll tolerate the She Said I Know What It's Like to Be Dead. Who? This isn't my Beatles. And then you get to the ending and you went, wow, I guess I'm done. Yeah. You you were on the bus or you're not on the bus. It, so yeah, there is hop on the bus. Yeah, hop on the bus. The hop on the bus. Revolver is you know yeah. is is a cross so. is a bridge sort of to yeah yeah from to, Beatles to yeah. New Beatles. You mentioned a track. Was that the track that Strawberry Field? Yes. Yeah, it was. But I I I like it. But there's parts of me that I'm not sure if it's something that stands out the way we're talking about. The music. See, I uh, picked it, so we so, can consider this hour if you okay, want. Okay, I'll, I'll go with it. I was going to yeah. go with um, another one, but I'll go with Strawberry Fields because it it seems like, in many ways, it's it's a, a partial nightmare in the lyrics. For what some of the things, you know, living is easy with eyes closed, misunderstanding is all you see. That's mm-hmm. actually is, very profound. It is, but it's Absolutely. but it's yeah. it's also it's like, not positive. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on that aren't positive about it, though. It. And also the way the song is put together. I'm not sure if it's the song or the recording or the lyrics. Well, he's telling you right from but, the beginning, let me take you down. Right. But, <laughs> but it starts is. off more, I don't want to say acoustic because that's the wrong term on the, well, the single. that's the way it was. Right. But then it turns into this, at the Heavy. one minute part where this like this weird dream noise takes over when they, the, where sure. the edit part happens yeah, between sure. the two versions. Sure. So I, I look at Strawberry Fields. I, I do look at it as, as an important song, but not the way we're t- sort of talking about it, I guess. I guess. 
See, I, I guess what I defaulted to is that if you hadn't gotten off the bus at Tomorrow Never Knows, right. you ran screaming off the bus at Strawberry Fields. Well, but that was uh, a B-side. In the UK, yeah, but you know what, though? In the UK, a. right, well, it was yeah. a double A, but if you think about it, in the UK, if I'm not mistaken, all of the programs that showed the Penny Lane promotional film also showed Strawberry Fields. Yeah, I believe so. So you could kind of, again, you could get through Penny Lane. Penny Lane was almost, oh, yeah, well, it's all right. a bouncy little Maybe bitty. they're back. You know, maybe they're back doing their, you know, interesting little stuff. And, oh, look, Paul's kind of doing like a, a almost a music hall-y kind of thing. Meanwhile, da 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 I mean, if you listen to Penny Lane, it's a freaking music hall track. da 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 You know. It's musical, but but mm. but Strawberry Fields has that really. It's a weird video. Well, it's promotional. That's thing. what I mean. Pro, yeah. Strawberry Fields is the what the hell moment. And again, where I went with it culturally, and I, I'm you know I'm stuck on something because I'm thinking about America and what a huge audience America was for them. So yes, I, obviously they're a UK band. We got to think about the UK. But to me, what was the most popular show for young people? Here in America, 1966, American Man's Day, and what happened when they showed they Strawberry Fields? They didn't like it. There you go. Like it. They, they, they were very confused go. by it. They, they had the mustaches. Not even the video of what was going on in the video, but oh, they have mustaches. Yeah. Look at them. And John's wearing glasses. You know? And very importantly, from a cultural standpoint, what did that single fail to do? Go to number one. There you go. Yeah, so it's, it's, to me, it's a very brief single. Without a doubt. Yeah. yeah, both sides of that single. Yeah. But that's um, where they were at the time. Yeah, but oh, yeah. that led to Pepper. I mean, it led to Pepper. And it was, and it was sheer. I mean, it was totally. But the, it's you know, eight minutes of I'm, sheer brilliance. When I'm 64, yes, but, if, but if when I'm 64 was released instead of one of those two songs, it changes because it's a, that's a poppy song. Like you said before, with I Want to Hold Your Hand, She Loves You. Yeah. So you put out When I'm 64. Especially Instead of Penny Lane? When I'm 64, back with Strawberry Fields? Yeah. Oof. Well, it wouldn't be. Yeah. It, you don't think it would have been? It no. probably would have been When I'm 64, Penny Lane. But then John... No, John went, no, no, not a double poll. No. Well, that's what I'm saying. John wouldn't want that. So that's, John wouldn't want that. But I could see that. I mean, I'm glad they didn't. Wouldn't it have, like, really gotten John's goat if it had been, like, When I'm 64 and only a Northern song? <laughs> <laughs> or, oh! But then... What with ha- a little help from my friend. Ouch. But then, yeah, um, right. just on the other side of that coin... Let's say Strawberry Fields isn't on the single. Uh, it's going to be on Sarge and Pepper. And, and that, wow. Then that, and that's, that's, that's even a, Talk about a game changer there. Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine that? I think that? for the better. Oh, definitely. So yeah, what would have happened? You when take I'm, out When I'm 64 and you put on Strawberry Fields? Or you take on When I'm 64 and you put on Penny Lane even. Yeah. Well, we always said Either those one. two, but that, right. they, that wow. was their preview of Pepper. Yeah. So it, as much as we love Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, it never was. I mean, it's on Magical Mystery Tour, which... You know, here in America, it became the standard around the world. But it, if it was originally done for Pepper, you know, it becomes even a better album. If it's hard to believe, you can yeah. ma- say that. But yeah, so but I know where you're going with with Pepper. I understand that. Yeah. So, all right. So we are going to take a brief intermezzo right now. Uh, we're going to take an intermission, and take a break, and. Um, we're going to go to the Lou, and so should you. And we'll see you in just a little while. I'm going to skip to the Hey, Ron, you're going to skip to the Lou. We'll be back in just a little while. The show is Fab for Free for All. We will be back in just a few minutes. Hi, folks. This is Tony from Fab for Free for All. As Mitch has mentioned several times, the cast of Fab for Free for All do not profit in any way doing these shows for all of you. In fact, we actually lose money because of studio time and other production expenses. Now, we have looked into show sponsors, but for a number of reasons, we've decided it would be in the best interest of all of us, including you, our listeners, not to have sponsored ads in our shows. So, what we've done is set up a Patreon account. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that allows artists to obtain funding from patrons on a recurring basis. Now, it can be as little or as much as you think you can send to us, for the work that we put into providing quality Fab Four free-for-all shows. Now, we know that we have thousands of worldwide listeners, and if each of you just contributed a dollar a month, that's just 25 cents per episode, we would have enough to retire and not have to do these shows. (laughs) Sorry. Seriously, though, we've gotten some great feedback from everyone about how much these shows mean to you, and we feel the same way. But it would be nice 
if we could break even in terms of cost so that we can continue to bring these shows to you in a timely fashion. Yeah, I know, we can be delayed every once in a while, but that's because, as John Lennon so beautifully said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. But we do vow to make every effort to have a quality show to you every week. We only ask that everyone go and visit Patreon.com to at least check out what it's all about and to see if you can contribute a little something in return for all the hard work and effort that we put into these shows for you. Just do a search for Fab Four Free For All and tell us that you give a buck about what we do. Thanks to all of you for being such great loyal listeners. And we are back on and the Fab Four Free For All. Better than ever. Not Mitch really. is doing better than ever. Mitch is doing great. I am. We're so damn happy that we're yeah, back Mitch recording. Is, Mitch is, you know, yeah. I'm hanging in there. Mitch is I won't be there. able to get up in a minute, but... <laughs> You'll just see me here tomorrow morning. Wait a minute. We're not in your bedroom, at least. Yeah, know? that's Thank God. Get, get us, out of the, get oh, us out of the bedroom. I had to get the stink out of there for Very three days. Very nice. I'm sorry. Anyway. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. And, and, you know, and since we were all naked, they just... Oh, my oh, God. Man, the, the vision. The vision. Anyway. That was we planted naked. in my brain. Wow. We were naked. All right. It still remains. Still anyway. remains. All right. <laughs> and I'm so going insane. Who who gets to pick their next? Is it me or... or well, uh, both, didn't we both, agree to... We both were Strawberry Fields. You, you actually, it's, it's your third. How so. many do you have left? Uh, two? I have two. I have those. I, I have those also. So let me just I go have, and then we'll. I have two. Oh, okay. So, so let me just okay. keep going. Mitchell. Uh, my fourth pick um, to have a chance to play Plinko. Um, just kidding. That's a Price is Right joke. Very good. Is Norwegian Wood. Interesting. Okay. As a historical song. Let okay. me finish, okay. Robert just... Leonard. <laughs> Rob Leonard. Rob <laughs> Leonard. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, because I do take them. Listen. <laughs> I could be any piece that's of paper. A, that's, a, that's a shopping list. <laughs> it is, but that's important, Juice, too, by milk, the way. peanut butter, and munchy, jelly. crunchy, chocolate, and Nor- cocoa I pops. have to buy Norwegian wood. And buy Norwegian wood. <laughs> wow. Not Scandinavian wood. Random Norwegian gave him wood. Of course. <laughs> Elky Summer. Elky Summer. Yeah, maybe. I get Norwegian wood. All right. I wrote, obviously important to music because of the sitar. Oh, interesting. But also important to George Harrison's confidence, because it was an experimental instrument that the others allowed George to experiment with, and then actually used it. Because he he didn't they didn't have to. George brought this and said, "I've got this instrument. Let's try." And the first takes of Norwegian Wood are okay, but he's obviously you know not really getting it. Well, and he's, playing, the, he's playing it like a guitar. Correct. Yeah. And he, that's one of the things why he went to R- Ravi Shankar. Uh, right. You know, change it around. Absolutely. But the Beatles, you know, this is George. I mean, this and this is 1965. So this is not like they're, you know, he's so prolific with it. You know, he's still getting his two cuts, but it's not like they're going crazy over his stuff. And they allowed George to take an instrument he brought to the table to a John song. Not even a George song. It's George's experimentation on another member's song, which didn't happen. And I just wrote, may have been the first example of something different on a Beatles LP. Well, I think for the sitar, yeah. But if you think about George, George was the guy who, who played the nylon string guitar on And I Love Her. He brought the 12-string into yeah, it Yeah, but first. that's not experimental like but, the sitar. But, but that's adding... That's it's adding a, new the, musical the, element. The it, volume pedal I mean, could and I you, need you. Could you argue that, that if I needed someone then is as... Profound. Why? First of all, the 12 string. Well, 12 string. Yeah, but 12 string was on. Hard Day's Night was on. But 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 what I'm saying is just playing the nylon and adding another element to another Beatles song and I love her, that's fine. You're talking about bringing in a whole other cultural influence. Exactly. Thank you. And not having it like on Love You Too. Having it be on John's song and John saying, well, that works. And actually allowing it. And I think that. Just in, in general, for the psyche of the group as a group unit. Well, do you think when it comes to importance to the group, because we're saying cultural and to the group, sure. do you think it's the idea, too, that that moment in time in terms of when they're recording, when they're working, was also them at their tightest as a unit? Maybe. Because well, you the, think about the music showed. 64 and yeah. 65. Well, 64. Rubber Song and Revolver definitely yeah. showed they were 
as tight as they weren't doing Julia in no. 65 and 6. They That's were together. What I mean. Because now you do have that added element. You know, now you've had George already prove, start to prove himself as a songwriter. You've gone beyond 64 and 6 and early 65 where it's John and Paul and the other guys in the group. Now it's gotten to the point where the contribution from George is becoming stronger. And now that they always recognized Ringo's musicianship. But now when you have stuff happening on the records that Ringo is adding unique elements to, yeah, maybe this is it. Maybe something like a, a Norwegian Wood is a point of them gelling. Well, if you would have had... As a, as a unit. I agree. But if you would have had George saying, okay, I'm going to bring sitar to I Need You. And they would have went, well, it's his song anyway, so I don't care. Right. But to have the balls to say, John, I think I can add to your song. Yeah, and John say, here. okay. But it's also that the way John wrote the song, too, that strum and pick thing. But he could have done an, an electric guitar. guitar. Yeah, but it fits more the the sitar than... Only why? In why? Hind- only in hindsight. Right. Why? Because we know it that way. Because we know it that But way. if he would have just done with an electric guitar, and we're it also, would have been just the same thing. And we're also thinking mm. solitary notes. That could have easily been... Completely well, you know, I'm different. Think, I'm thinking of the first take of... Uh, Could have been a keyboard. The Anthology 2 version, which is a totally different version. Right. In the sense but that it doesn't have the way he put those, of course. those notes. But where I'm going is that it could have just as easily been the harpsichord and She's Leaving Home. I did a little once had... Or should I... And he once had me. It could have been a waltz. It could have... I mean... That song could have gone in any direction or because the, of that. In like my you life say. keyboard. Sure, sure. The in my life the baroque, keyboard. Right, right. Yeah, baroque Piano. feel to it. I mean, that song could, could have, have gone anywhere. And like you said, it is true. It does have that breathing space. It does yeah. have the Rocky Horror audience participation moment in it in the middle there. You, I once had a girl, or shit. You could do anything in there. I guess that's true. Here's George with a sitar. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it worked. I mean, absolutely. In well, hindsight, we yeah. look at it and we're like, it, it, "Well, that's it was nothing else." Been, that, right. But it could have been anything. Sign of a perfect song, really, or a perfect production. Right. That's the only way it ever really could I'm have been. I'm just trying to think out of the box, you know. As yeah, it's interesting. Stuff, so. Really interesting. So, and you? Yeah. My next choice is the title song from their second movie, in, which was in color, by the way. Green. Help. Play. Uh, <laughs> and we'd actually mentioned this in the Rarity Show a little Did? bit. Uh, we were talking about how Help, the open in stereo, sounds oh, yeah. so much more immediate than yeah. the mono version. Powerful as Help. Yeah. And there's a lot of things about Help I think stand out. John mentioned it in 70 that he wished he'd recorded it as a slower song, which yeah. he actually did, which ended up on the Lost Lennon tapes. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't have the same impact, I don't think. No, because the immediacy of help is that it's there, but it's moving and it's fast, and he's screaming help, but it's a, one of the best pop songs they ever did at the same time. To me, help is, as what John would say, was writing more about him. Well, not that he didn't do that before, but it's hard to believe. You know, here's a guy at the top of the game, top of the world, crying out for help, and we sort of know why. You know, he's in a marriage he really didn't want to be in. He's. The band is different than it was even three years earlier. If you go back three years, it's 62. Mm-hmm. It's a different band. And, you know, what's going on? Are we going to continue this? Are we going to lose our, our fans? Some of their other compatriots who came along were already losing their fans. Yeah, right. And the Beatles weren't. Um, but who knew? To me, Help is just as a song, the open he, they don't really repeat that. In the, he, he did that a few times with a couple of... Uh, he did that with If I Fell, where he takes the open and never reuses it again, which I think is, is as a songwriter, is very tough to do, and he pulled it off many times, and Help is, to me, the best way he pulled it off out of all those times. It's also a great song to sing. But I mean from a cultural standpoint, though. And again, I'm not disagreeing. I, I think the cultural thing about that is... It's actually a couple of many years later. You know, it was just thought of as another pop song from their second movie. Oh, it's their next movie. Okay. I think when you look back at the Beatles, it takes on a more important meaning when you're reading about them or looking at their history than if you're just looking at 1965 because it was just basically another. Mm. You know, how many right. people in 1965 right. thought of the lyrics the way 
maybe we think about them now. Yes. Because parents weren't listening to the lyrics of that. And if you're a teenager, you're not thinking that as intensely maybe than a few years later. Unless you're, as we were saying, you know, someone like a... Our dear friend, who you were at my house when we were going through some of his archives, Pete Fornatel, was talking about how they were at Shea Stadium in 1966 actually trying to hear what the Beatles were singing. They knew it was going to be something important and something, mm-hmm. you know, and with meaning. And, and, and as that audience is getting older, it, it takes on a, a absolutely. more importance. So it's interesting, too, because, you know, when we talk about the these really, quote, important songs... It doesn't have to necessarily mean, I guess, the idea that, well, it was that important at that time, at the moment no. of release. No. Many of the Beatles songs have have taken on lives of their own, to be cliche about it. They have. So... And, and help, because John, especially after the Beatles broke up, talked about that song in so many interviews. Yes. He'd always talk about that it was so important to him as a songwriter. Yeah. And yeah. it is. It's one of those songs. Yeah. I'm going to follow your lead in a way, and I'm going to jump to the opening note and the opening song of the first movie, the black and white one. Uh, and I'm going to say A Hard Day's Night. Um, and that's my fifth. That's your fifth? Yeah, but so, probably yeah. for different reasons. Um, for me, it's the idea that this was the, and again, I, you know, we're re- reiterating a little bit, and we've talked about this in the past, whether it was talking about the movie or here they were. Opening note, we have now taken over another medium. We win. Ha ha. We've got the record sewn up. We've got your sons and daughters. And now, guess what? We're going to get you too. Ha ha. We're going to come in and you're going to hear, bam. It's been a, and it's it's all over. But to me. It's all over. To me, that's also, if you're looking back on the history, that's much more important looking back at that chord because it's been analyzed so many times. And it's the opening of a fantastic movie, which yeah. in 1964, you didn't know if it was going to be a fantastic movie. No, you didn't. And you didn't. Mo- right. Most pop movies weren't fantastic. No. So no. You, you have this opening chord and it just explodes and all this energy happens in this movie and even afterwards. And I understand what, you know, if it wasn't that chord, I don't think it, it has the same effect. If Probably you look not. At, look at the way that, that song is put together. If yeah. it just started, it's a hard day's night without the chord, yeah. it's a little different. It's just right. If it started cold, it's been a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. That's... That opening chord is... You know, in a way, it's really funny. It's like, is it the song that's the most culturally significant or, or the, the chord? chord? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we could do a show. What's the single most important chord the Beatles ever played? It's it's wild, but... So where were you, where were you taking it? Totally a different way. Okay. I said it's important as the third U.S. single. Wow. On Capitol. Wow. On Capitol, because okay. I said, obviously, I went on to him was huge, and any single would have sold with all the craziness in that immediacy, which Can't Buy Me Love did. It was the next single, right. and it sold just because of the mania. Right. They didn't even need the picture sleeve, and that's why it's so rare, because there were two million advance orders. Right. So they didn't need it. But... I wrote, even though 64 was huge, if subsequent 45s were weak, then things may have subsided. Absolutely. But A Hard Day's Night was an upbeat, Absolutely. catchy single, which kept the momentum going. So it was really, it was the ultimate symbol of staying power. You know, nowadays, or in the late 60s, because records were spaced differently, yeah. the sophomore curse came about. Your career lived or died based on your second release. That's because the the releases were more spaced out. Right. And you you are a thousand percent on. They could have whistled Dixie out their butts for the second single, and it, and it still would have charted. Right. Just based on the mania. Right. But the third one was really the all important. That's a good point. Live or die. I, I never thought of the releases. No, and I yes, never did either. To your point, though, and to your point, Rob. Because it had a movie attached to it, it still did that much better. But if the song was, you know, Baby, I Love Your Legs, oh, baby, they would have been like, okay, that was, Can't Buy Me Love was awesome, but this one sucks. It would have been. And you don't know what would have happened to the Beatle craze after that. Yeah, it would have been, all right, well, you know what? Maybe they weren't quite a one-hit wonder. But two. Two hit wonder. That's all right, thank you. Next. Next. Thank you. Welcome to Rolling Stones. And, and, 
And also both Arm and Tarmans. And Arm and both Tarmans. those songs in the movie, they're all running. Yeah, right. Hard Day's Night, they're running at the train. And right. then in uh, Can't Buy Me Love, they go down the staircase and then they're running in the field. Everything else is sort of just playing. Yeah. Which, you that, know. That's interesting. You know, you think about the, the, those these two songs are filled with Visual, energy. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Wow. All right. That's my five. That's Mitch. My, Mitch my, my last song is their biggest selling song ever. Uh, hey Jude. Nine weeks of number one lease in America, 19 weeks total. It was released in the summer of 68. Matter of fact, it was almost to the day as we're recording this, 47th anniversary. To me, it's two songs in one. You got the first three minutes, which is this, again, this is after with the fact, Paul writing, he said it was for himself, which I do believe. Mm-hmm. He also says for Julian. But also, you think about it, he's writing to John. And John talked about this sure. in the Playboy interview for sure. pages. Yeah. About sure. how. Yeah, but I think that's a certain sure. paranoia. No, no, this wasn't paranoia. This was John seeing his friend. Maybe they weren't talking as much right now because all of a sudden Yoko is there every day. Not that Yoko was forcing them out. I, don't, I never believed that. No. But there's a difference just presenting yourself when the, you're, you're always connected to someone holding their hand you know, or, or being connected to him like that. This, I thought, was Paul's way of writing for John. This is something we see later on. I think also the thing about the song is it sort of goes back to All You Need Is Love, where it's a year later and things have changed in the world. Vietnam has gotten much worse. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, much this is, this was my fifth, by the way. So and we're, also yeah. that, that whole chanting, you know, the na-na-na thing, uh, and Paul singing over that, there's a togetherness feel to that. The promotional film had, Bingo. had you a just whole bunch more, yeah. of... Different yeah. groups together. Yeah. Different um, walks of life, different people of different occupations, right. different age groups. Races. It was a, yes. it was yeah. this gathering of people yeah. which at the time you thought the world was falling apart. Not to take away from the significance of the song. In other words, not to say that, that the visuals are what, but right. the visuals do help to... Connect the song. Connect the song and, again, and kind of enhance the... But again, it wasn't a promotional video that was official. It was a live thing. Well, it was well, seen on the Smothers Brothers. It was, so it was staged. seen by David Frost. Yeah, you know what I mean? Staged, like it was. Okay. It was still filmed. You know what I mean? It was Michael Lindsay Hogg was still asked to come in and direct it, and he wasn't the director of the TV show. Right. You know what I mean? Like in other words, it was. I got it. A standalone but it, piece. I but it's a, it's a song about togetherness. Whenever I'm feeling a little bit down, I put on Hey Jude as as a song. You know, sure. To sure raise my spirit, so to speak. It's a great song, and the Absolutely. only thing bad you can say about it. Is that George wanted to add those notes in between, and Paul, Paul said yeah. no. Yeah, and it seemed that George was seemed a little bothered by that, and that was and that caused a rift that would never really. And, and I really think that right. Paul was correct because the notes wouldn't have fit in with what Paul was I trying agree. to connect with the song. Yeah, I agree. And that's not something Paul does. He doesn't like those fills. A lot of his songs uh, witnessed and hello goodbye. Yeah. yeah right. So or uh, let it be. So he. Um, a movie. To me, it's a song about, there's a togetherness factor. It, there's a connection with just what was going on at the time. It's, everything seemed to be splintering off. And it wasn't just in the States. It was all over the no, world. No, it was so, all over the world. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, too, again, back to the idea that a song that has gained momentum in a way and its profoundness. Look, I know we have all seen the Paul McCartney tour countless times. Yeah. So it's difficult. We've got to step away from the... It's old and tired for us. We have seen, okay, just the girls now, how many times in our lives. True, but But we've also been witness to the people within our section bawling their eyes out because they've never been there for that. And now 60,000 people are in a stadium in the middle of every war that's going on right now in the world, every bit of crap going on in every political system in the world right now. But Paul McCartney's in a stadium, and he says, wow, nah, yeah. nah. And all of a sudden, that goes right out the window I've for always, three minutes and whatever seconds. I would always wish that Paul would drop that song and replace it with two other four-minute songs. But you don't know what it means but, to other people. Right. And, right. But, but the other side of the coin right. is, you know, if he, if he did it alternate tours, I would really probably appreciate it a little more. 
But at the same time, we've seen them all these times. Yeah. Not everyone's seen Paul McCartney. Right. There's certain songs right. Paul, I guess, has to do, and, and yeah. Hey Jude yeah. would be one of them. Yeah, and, and Layla. He has to do Layla. Yeah, well, Layla, too. Every time. But the acoustic version, not right. the... Not the <laughs> right, not and the don't let the sun go down on me. <laughs> Got to do those. That's a Michael Jackson song. So, you know. to me... Don't uh, let your son go down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So, to me, you know, I understand why he does it, and, and I don't get as angry as... Not, <laughs> angry is the wrong word, but it's like when I saw Billy Joel a couple weeks ago at the Coliseum. Yeah, it was your typical Billy Joel show, and no, it wasn't. Kevin James was there. Well, Kevin James was there, <laughs> and Paul Simon showed up. Thank but, you. And they didn't even do a duet. Why Kevin would James. they? No, no, Kevin. Paul Simon. Kevin no, Paul Simon did right. three, three, three songs. Not, not with Billy. No, well, yes, they did. Late they didn't do Homeward Bound together. Yes, they did. Okay, I was there. But one thing that I got me about the show was, is that there was there was so much energy. It was the last show at the Coliseum before they redo it. You know, to me, it's, I've right. seen every show since '82. You know, I've seen at least one on each tour, and you know, there's a lot of the same songs on every tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this time, I, I let it instead of being disappointed that he didn't play Laura, which is one of my favorite songs of all time, which yep. he has played live. Seen him. I just went along with it, and it was it was a much. You better much, ride when you do that. It was a better that. ride yeah. where I don't get angry. Yeah. Why isn't he doing well, all for Lena? Damn it! Yeah. You know, seen that. And Look, Paul with Paul. Well, that's three to say. Does thing. it well, by the way. Yeah, no, I've seen that. But when he, when, when he does something like, hey, Jude, and we all bitch and moan and complain, take that out, it's tired. Again, you don't know what it means to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll readily admit that in 2005, standing in the Madison Square Garden in the stands of the sports arena, during one of his encores, and he did Please Please Me. Right. And I sat there crying like a baby, and I didn't know why. Mm. And my wife said to me, are you crying? I'm like... Yeah, and she said, wow, the power of that song. So, Hey Jude, you know, when you hear it on, on the radio now, because it is on radio. Yeah. When you hear it, that opening is, that Paul opening of Hey Jude is just as important as yes. the drums of She Loves yeah. You. Yeah. It really yeah. is. And it is, and you're right, though, it is that vocal opening. It is that vocal opening. It's cold. It's weird. When I was young, and I don't mean 10, I remember still being in college, and how many times that I heard my, had had I heard my Beatles collection? I was already doing a friggin' Beatles radio show. Mm-hmm. But truth be told, if I pulled a car into somewhere and wasn't in like a major rush, and Hey Jude was on the radio, yep. I still sat in the car. I don't know why I wasn't <laughs> singing by myself. Nah, nah, nah. Right. But it's a good song. But for some reason, I I, I had to wait that long fade. I had to wait for. You know, at that point, it was CBS FM probably right. playing it already. Probably. And you had to wait for one of the jocks to come in at the very end. But anyway, yeah. But, yeah, And also that open, you know, there's no music leading to that open. No. Nope. Nope. And it's it's not, nope. hey, it's, it's, there's a, Staccato. There's a, there's a perfect hey, amount of space in between. Yeah. And the way it's, it's also, there's a certain thing on his voice in the beginning. that It's just the way he, he it comes the, out of his mouth. It, yeah. It, well, it's, oh, it's yeah. beautifully sung. And, yeah. and it, it's very important that, you're right, that that open has that feeling because it leads to the rest of the song. Yeah. It's two different songs and it's connected perfectly because the last three minutes is not different chords, but a different chord progression yes. than the first three. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, to me, it's, I just love the song. If nothing else, it's important because it spent the most time at number one as any Beatles single. It was Again, culturally longest, important. It's longest culturally Beatles important. song, yeah. you know. Yeah. The, Long, fact, the, longest, the longest single, right? It it broke down the radio. There you go. Broke that, that another helped, wall that, down. That helped break down that. Right. And, and most right. of the time, the radio did not cut it off. Right. Most of the time. Now there's versions out there that do some. So, that, so was, talk but, about another bit of cultural And then there. don't forget. A few years later, you had American Pie, which had side one and side two, right? right. Part one and part right. two, because right. it was so long. But yep. they didn't do that to Hey Jude. No, they didn't. So, you know, so yeah, to me, it's 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 one of those just songs you just love. And yeah, but that's but that's great. That, I mean, but that's that idea crossing over to what it means to us versus the idea of culturally. But a couple of those points, like but, the idea of breaking down the time barriers in the stations right. and. Really, really important There's, stuff. You so. just didn't play seven-minute songs right. on, on radio. radio. Yeah, you yeah. didn't. You know, I was always saying, like, and I've mentioned this too before, but 1971, you know, Harry Chapin puts out Taxi, and he still had to write on the label that it was five minutes and 72 seconds <laughs> to get away with it getting right. played. Right. You know, because you can't say oh, it's yeah. 612. Right. right. It was even longer, but they just 
BSed and put yeah, right. or five minutes and 82 seconds or something. Whatever he put on yeah. it. But Anyway. So I think that sort of wraps up yeah. our uh, group's look at what we feel is, in our opinion, the most important Beatles songs. I'm glad we didn't have um, that many in common. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, we came up with a really interesting cross-section of, of music, I think. And this could be important to us, these songs. I mean, it yeah, doesn't have yeah. to be important to you or have the audience feel that, it's yeah. a, important to yeah. the Beatles' history. Yeah. Well, if you're going to write about the Beatles' history in song, yes. these are songs that, you know... Some yeah. of them, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, only, you would have yeah. to include some of them. I'm, yeah, I'm not saying you'd have to include everyone. But and if you if you think there's a song that we left out, you know where oh. to reach us. You can reach out to us on Facebook. Please. Uh, and you can, of course, visit the website at www.fab4free4all.com. And, um, and we should also tell people that by the time you're hearing this, yeah. we are going to be on uh, Landa University Radio XLR. Excellent. And they are actually going to be interspersing snippets of songs so it'll be a different experience yeah i listened to a show today which had song snippets in and it was a a whole different experience cool. so look it up uh and when on we say snippets it's 30 35 30, seconds right. yeah. it's right. not the 30, whole song right so look them up they are landa university in south carolina xlr radio on live365.com and we hope you catch us there as well and we'll yeah. put a link up on it too absolutely so for Fab Four Free For All, and uh, our topic today of the five songs that we all felt are the culturally Three. and socially most important for the Beatles, I have been your moderator, Tony Chiguardo, and joining me, as they always do, has been... Rob Leonard. And... Mitch Axelrod. And uh, thanks for listening. We will see you next week. We're out! Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. Mummy, 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 mama, Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. Hi. <laughs> Keep going. <coughs> We're almost done. <coughs>